uh, almost every single night I'm in bed and I'm like, like, oh my gosh, my nose just feels like it's just completely full um, every morning waking up. Uh, one thing I've learned is that children at seven months old, they don't really know how to share anything except for germs. And so, you know, that's it's one thing, hey, she's got to learn somewhere, she's got to start somewhere, but... Uh, you know, I, I think uh, my daughter, she's given both my wife and I something. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, we'll make it through today uh, doing well. So uh, I want to jump into what it is that we're talking about this morning. We've been continuing on in this series that uh, we've been going through called The Cross. Uh, the Cross not being just simply a mere symbol, but also an incredible representation of the life that Christ lived ultimately extending that life to every single one of us. And the cross has so much power in it that we're essentially investigating over the course of these last four weeks and we'll continue to as well uh, for our last message next week uh, when Jonathan Hupp returns from his vacation. So it's kind of weird. This is like no boss week for all of us here. You know, it's a, it's a big party. Before we jump in, uh, I want to pray for us. I think that God has something powerful to speak to us. I'll be completely honest. When I was going through this uh, message in preparation for it, uh, I felt like this was a very heavy message. I think for many of us, this is going to be difficult to hear. Uh, it was difficult for me to even go through. I'm thinking like, wow, this is, this is deep. The things that Jesus calls us to, they're not simple. They are, I should say, they are simple. They're not easy. Right? They're challenging. It's difficult for many of us to walk through them, but the reward is so great when we do. So let's pray. Let's pray that God speaks to us this morning. God, we thank you just for uh, the work that you did on the cross. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity even just to be here this morning and to meet together collectively and to talk about your word. God, I pray that you would open your word up to us. You'd speak to us in a real way. God, I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning. Um, God, I pray that we would just Walk away from this place, not just having heard a message uh, to feel good, God, but I pray that that message would just penetrate our hearts and do something in us that would be powerful. Um, God, we thank you, we love you, we look forward to all that you have for us this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so when you hear the topic, come and die, you're probably thinking like, dude, like seriously, that's kind of intense. Uh, Like what in the world are you talking about? Uh, there's a quote that I think really illustrates this point well. It's a, it's a famous quote by the head coach Tom Landry, who was the Dallas Cowboys head coach. And this is what he said. He said, Coaching is making men do what they don't want to do in order to become men they always wanted to be. That's what coaching is. And in a sense, this is what God is calling us to. He sometimes says to us, I want you to do things that naturally go against the grain, things that you don't want to do in order to make you the person that you always wanted to be. The only way to do that is to do things you don't want to do, is to surrender things that you don't want to surrender. That's such a powerful quote. I think there's so many illustrations that you can see in uh, sports and athletics that carry over to real life because The connections are so great. There's so much truth in it. Excuse me. We're really going to be hanging out here in Matthew 16, 21 through 26. (coughs) Excuse me. This is where Jesus gives us a call to come 
and to die. Beginning in uh, verse 21, this is what Jesus says, or what, uh, what the Scripture says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned to him, turned to Peter, and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I, truthfully, this is kind of the beginning part of uh, the call to come and die. And I didn't need to include this particular story of, of Jesus essentially calling Peter Satan. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of like the modern day equivalent of, you know, I imagine just like Jesus is with the disciples and, and uh, you know, I, people have this idea of Jesus as being like this real rigid, like everything that came out of his mouth was like, wow, you're amazing, you know, and just like reverence and everything is incredible. I imagine Jesus is probably a guy who had the greatest sense of humor of anybody. Like, I, I just kind of picture him as saying things like really funny. Um, and so I imagine when Jesus was saying this, he said it to Peter in kind of a joking way, but at the same time, like, it's the modern-day equivalent of, like, whoa, that was like a sick burn, holy cow, like, I can't believe, sick burn, get it? You know, you called him Satan. That's, uh, that's a little meta right there. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but this is, like, this is even following just a statement where Jesus is telling Peter, I'm going to give you the authority to essentially run and to, uh, to, to, to essentially be the rock upon the ch- the, which I'm building the church right? He's telling Peter, you are going to be the one that is going to be over the church, taking it into a place it's never been before. And then, literally five minutes later, he's calling him Satan. Like, I just think that's really funny. Um, So then, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus is saying, not only am I going to have to die, you're going to have to die. And a lot of times we get kind of knotted up in our minds like, wow, is he really saying you're going to have to physically die? I think in some instances Jesus is is saying that to to his disciples. He is saying you are going to have to physically die. I think in a lot of ways as well, Jesus is saying you're going to have to die to a lot of things that aren't necessarily physical. And we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's interesting. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? It's a a lot of stuff to unpack here, but really we're just going to focus on verse 24 here. Um, The part where Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him, essentially to die. Um, I want to be absolutely clear from the outset that this is uh, a lot of times misconceived or uh, misconstrued in its meaning. First and foremost, the cross that we should focus on is not our cross first. It's Christ's cross first. Our focus needs to be completely on the cross of Christ, then ours. A lot of times people get that reversed. They think to themselves, Man, like, 
I need to focus on my cross. I'm carrying such a heavy burden. That's not true. In fact, um, Christ's cross is the beginning of ultimately the freedom that we can experience. We are not the beginning of freedom. Christ is. Christ did not go up to the cross and he didn't remain on it. A lot of times the idea of us taking up our cross, we're putting ourselves up there for eternity. (laughs) And that's not reality. The truth is that God went up on the cross. Jesus himself went up on the cross. He was up there for roughly six hours. He came down, having died, for the sins of all of humanity, past, present, and future at that time. He rose three days later, defeating death and sin. And by extension, he gave that freedom to every single one of us so that we can walk in overcoming and freedom as well. Does that make sense? It's not a, there's an idea of Jesus, man, Jesus is always up on that cross. No, he's not. He came down, he got up, and he, he, he beat death. That's, that's something that's encouraging for every single one of us. In fact, take a look at what John 16.33 says. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Notice here what he says. You, you will have peace, but you'll also have tribulation. Jesus specifically says right here that peace is not the absence of conflict. Did you catch that? He's saying you're going to have conflict, you're going to have tribulation, but you'll also have peace. And that's peace learning to be at rest on the inside despite what's happening in my circumstances around me. That's what that means. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That is something that is so powerful for every single one of us. Second, it's absolutely impossible for us to earn God's favor, our salvation, our right standing before God through what we do. That's the second thing. So first, we focus on Christ's cross, then ours. Second, it's absolutely impossible for us to earn God's favor, our salvation, or our right standing before God through what we do. A lot of times people have this mentality, I can work for my salvation. If I'm a good enough person, my good outweighs my bad, ultimately, God's going to have to say, mate, you're such a good person. I can't just, how can I refuse to have you come and be with me? Right? That's not true. In the book of Isaiah, God actually says all of your good works are basically like filthy rags. I don't know if you've ever seen a really filthy rag, but it's not really that great looking. Like, you you don't want to hang out with filthy rags all day. It's just, just being honest. In fact, this is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. It's only through what Christ has done for us. Anyone here ever earn a free gift? That's kind of a, an oxymoron, right? You can't earn something that's free. Uh, have you ever seen uh, you know, those clips of Oprah? Where she's like, you get a free car, and you get a free car, and you get a free car, and everybody gets a free car. And she's freaking out, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, we get free cars, this is awesome. Do you think that the result, ultimately, of them receiving free car was anything that they did? She gave them a free car because she said, I want to give you a free car. You didn't work for it. Ultimately, the result of receiving a free car is up to, do I want the free car or not? 
you don't have to receive a free gift if you don't want to. Does that make sense? If somebody gives you something, you're like, nah, nope, no thanks. Okay, that's your choice. You can certainly do that. That's, that's totally fine. But it's not a result of you working and doing all of these things that is the, somebody giving you a gift as a result. That's not what a gift is. A gift is freely given. You can't work for it. So what are some of the misconceptions? Let's go back to uh, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I want to spend just a a few minutes on some of these misconceptions that we often see when we read through the scripture. Um, Have you ever heard somebody say something like, you know, that's just, that's my cross to carry. I just, that's so, I just, you know, like, I'm just dealing with this. That's my cross to carry. You know, I just got to deal with it. Like, it's kind of some sort of self-pitying humility. Like, it's, that's not true humility, just so you know. It's, it's kind of like, man, like, life, life is just so hard. Everything is so bad, but that's just my cross. That's what God gave me to do, and I just got to do it. That's not what God is calling us to. That's not real. That's, that's not humility. When people say it, it's, it's again, it's not out of a, a, a place of true humility. Because we need to be fully ho- focused on uh, a Christ cross, not ours. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was carrying his cross roughly the half mile from the temple to uh, Golgotha, which is where he was crucified, uh, he was beaten to a point, uh, in the book of Isaiah, it says that he was beaten to a point where he didn't even look or resemble like a human being. That's how bad he looked. Um, Probably suffered severe loss of blood. He was in shock, most likely. Um, So carrying something that weighs roughly three to four hundred pounds, a half mile, that's pretty strenuous work, right? And the result of that, people at that time were not seeing the cross. Wow, that's just some really good sense of symbolism right there. People at that time recognized the cross as the most brutal form of punishment ever created by man. It is the most brutal form of punishment ever created by man. The Romans put together this idea of putting a man on a cross. They could essentially guarantee the exact moments that the person was going to die from suffocation, because that's actually how they died when they went up on the cross. When, uh, when they were on the cross, every time they had to breathe, their lungs were collapsed, basically, at that point. So when they breathed, they had to lift themselves up, right, to breathe, to physically breathe. Um, my man Brexton here, he's got broken ribs. He was telling us about it this morning. And I imagine when that happened, right, it was like, oh my gosh, that hurts so bad. Even breathing, right? So that essentially, imagine doing that for six hours, but also doing it when you have nails in your hands trying to lift your entire body up. I mean, that's just, it's such a brutal form of punishment that anybody could endure. So it wasn't some sort of symbolic representation. It was, it was this was real. It's like, you are going to go and suffer the most brutal death, that you can experience. That's what Jesus is calling us to. In certain regards, when it comes to areas of our life that he wants us to to sacrifice, to lay down completely and to turn to him, he wants us to put those things to death in the most humiliating way you can possibly think of. That's what that call is. Why? The cross is meant to be one thing. It was painful, it was humiliating, and historically it is... considered to be the most brutal way that 
uh, most brutal form of capital punishment in human history. So what does this mean? The true meaning of take up your cross means this. Surrendering your will and your life to follow Jesus. Take a look at what Jesus follows up with just one verse later in Matthew 16.25. He says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This idea of uh, dying to ourselves is not just simply dying to ourselves for the sake of dying, right? It's dying for our, to ourselves to step into something that God wants to release in us, right? He's extending freedom in all of those areas that we're essentially surrendering. That's what that means. I mean, really, it goes back to that, uh, that Tom Landry quote that I started off with. It's, Doing things you don't want to do to become the person you always wanted to be. That's essentially what that is. You know what's really funny is um, what happens is people have this mentality, I think, of, um, at least here in the United States, of being a Christian is like, oh, it's like so easy when things are going great, right? But then there's this mentality of when things are going wrong, God, why did you do that? how dare you? You know, like, oh, it's like all my doing if things are going great, but then God, like, if anything bad happens, that's your fault. Like, why did you do that? You know, and, and that is a real uh, sad mentality that a lot of us live in. It's almost like Jesus is some sort of genie, right? Like, oh, like, I'm responsible for all the good in my life, but God, like, how come you screwed this up? I really just want all the good things from you, you know? And, and, and that's, that's a reality that many of us live in. Uh, in fact, I have a clip here that I want to show you. Um, you're going to watch this clip and think to yourself, what does that have to do with anything? But trust me, there is an incredible follow-up from it, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about that illustrates that exact point. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's, that's, it's just brutal and painful watching that, right? Bills are my hometown team, and I remember that play very clearly. The reason why I remember that play so clearly is because of the follow-up 20 minutes later that that player tweeted out to the entire world. This is what he says. I praise you 24-7. Six exclamation points, by the way, right after that. And this is how you do me, blaming God for why he dropped a piece of pigskin, right? You expect me to learn from this. How? I'll never forget this ever. Thanks, though. I don't know what the thanks, though, means. But, I mean, you see right there where it's like, God, I'm, I'm all for you, but this is what you did to me. How dare you do that to me, right? A lot of times, though, that's our mentality. Like, we have that. Like, it's, it's some sort of, like, God, it's your fault that things are not going well for me. Like, what is the deal here, you know? And, and the, the truth is, it's like God is calling us not only just to, um, to praise him not only when it's good, but also when it's bad. Because the truth is, like Jesus said in the John 16 verse, you will endure tribulation. That's not, a, that's not a question. It's going to happen. For a football player who makes millions of dollars a year to miss a football and blame God is absolutely ridiculous in my mind, but, you know, that's just how it is. Um, let's take a look at Luke 9, 57 through 62. In fact, these are, these are some of the examples of Jesus, uh, people coming to Jesus and saying, I want to, to follow you. And Jesus is essentially turning them away. Take a look at what he says here. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of, air have, uh, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Where am I at? Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, naturally, when people are coming to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you, you'd think like a person would say, yeah, like, I want you to follow me. I want followers, right? That, that sounds great. I would love you to follow me. Jesus was not after half-committed followers. He wanted people who were all in no matter what. And these are three examples of people who had kind of ulterior motives. They're like, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to do it on my conditions. I don't want to do it on your conditions. I want to do it on my conditions. And none of those people ended up following Jesus because they were half-committed followers. Half of them. Half-committed followers. So I want, to, I want to think about a few questions here. There's five questions. Number one, will you follow Jesus if it means losing friends? Number two, will you follow Jesus if it means alienation from family? Number three, will you follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Will you follow Jesus if it means losing your job? And will you follow Jesus if it means losing your life? Now my mentality, I think, uh, earlier on when I was younger, I, I thought to myself, you know, that if somebody came and was going to you know, make me kneel on the ground and say, do you believe in Jesus? Hold me at gunpoint. I'd be like, yeah, I, I, would, I would die for Jesus. I, I thought that. When I started going through these questions, if I was unable to answer the first four in that way, that same way, how in the world would I be able to answer that last question? The same way, right? If I'm not willing to risk my reputation or lose friends or lose family or any of those things, how in the world would I be willing to lose my life for the sake of Christ? How? These aren't predictive things. I mean, these questions are not things that are guaranteed to happen to every single one of us. I think the question we have to ask ourselves, though, is would we be willing to do it? Would we be willing to risk friends? Would we be willing to risk family? Would we be willing to risk our job or our life? That's a real question, I think, that so many of us have to wrestle with. But the truth is, people all over the world are faced with this reality, the, the last question, on a daily basis. In fact, in the last decade... Here's a little statistic for you. In the last decade, over a million Christians have been martyred simply because they believe that Jesus is God. Think about that. A million. A million Christians. That's, that's crazy. There are people all over the world who face much more significant risks every single week. If we were in one of those countries, we'd have to worry about someone walking through this door and ending all of our lives. But we have this freedom 
in this country. And oftentimes, freedom comes at a cost. Sometimes the cost of many of us in this room of taking it for granted, right? It's a reality. I, it's, I'm just as guilty of that. I'm not, I'm not condemning anyone in this room because I do that. I take it for granted. I think all of us do. We really don't understand the weight that many people are faced with on a regular basis who, uh, who die, who are simply killed just because they bear the name Christian. Let's go back to Matthew 16, 25. It says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What are some of the things that you find? Galatians 5, 22-23 says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'll tell you what, I definitely do not uh, want to go around without these things. I want to live without these things. I think everybody in this room would say, I would love to love more, right? I want to have more joy. I want to have more peace. Anyone need more patience in this room? (laughs) Those are like the awkward laughs. Those people who awkwardly laugh, yes, you need that. That's for sure. Patience, kindness, all these things. These are are byproducts. These are things that all of us want. I'm not going to say like, yeah, like, I, I certainly don't want to have any joy in my life. I, I just get through on the, on the pain, right? Like, I just love being emo, you know? It's just real, real goth here. But, yeah, you know? The truth is, every single one of us wants to, to have this in our lives. We all want to have the reality of every single one of these things in our lives. But it's only when we fully surrender, when we turn our lives to Christ, when we say, God, I'm going to give you Everything I have, I'm laying everything down before you. So here are some things to consider today. First off, have you genuinely surrendered your whole life to Christ? Have you genuinely surrendered your whole life to Christ? I'm not talking about doing it conditionally, where, you know, I'm going to give you just the areas that I want to, but I'm going to do whatever I want on my terms. I'm talking about your entire life, all of it. You surrender everything to him. At the bottom, actually, at the bottom of your bulletin, there's a little insert. Um, and it, it also it says something along the lines of, uh, today I accepted Christ as my Savior. If that's you, if you're in the, that stage, you say, you know, I really want to surrender everything that I am today to Christ. Fill that out. Put down your information. We have a box right outside. You can go ahead and drop it off. We'd love to get in contact with you and talk to you more about what living as a Christian looks like, what that means. The second question is this. Those of us who are Christians in this room, I want us to um, do something that's real practical today. Identify at least one area in your life that you aren't fully trusting Christ and ask God to grow faith in that area. So, maybe today, take 10-15 minutes, uh, pray, just say, God, show me that area of my life. I think so many of us probably, it won't even take 10 minutes, it'll probably take two. Right? God, what's that area? Usually it'll come right to you. You know what it is. And do whatever it takes to just say, God, like I want to get to a place where I can surrender this. I, I, I want to. I think for, for me it was, um, a few years ago, the, one of the biggest things that I had was, was with my finances. 
I was not in a good place of believing that God ultimately was going to provide for me when I was walking into uh, ministry for the first time. I walked away from a great job, making good money, and when I stepped into ministry, I was thinking to myself, you know, like, I really have to go out and do the work. It's me doing this. God, I, I kind of like half-heartedly believe you're going to provide for me, but ultimately half of it's on me. No, it's 100% on God. And that was something that, as a reality of, of that uh, season, of having to raise that fi- the finances and the support, that God ultimately was breaking in me. So a lot of times people think of tribulation and trials and these things that we face as being really challenging and, God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I going through this? The reason is because God wants to open things up in you. He wants to, to allow you to surrender those areas to him so that you can walk in freedom. That's the purpose of trials. A lot of people don't understand that. Steve Backlund, uh, he uh, was a pastor, former pastor over at Bethel Church in uh, California. He came and uh, spoke in, uh, at Morningstar Church in Lawrence back in December, this last December. And he said something to me that was really powerful. Uh, I felt like it was, it was pretty much pointed directly at me. And he said this, Do you want to be a man of faith or a man of fact? And it was, it was weird because I think a lot of times, you know when you're, you're in a, maybe you hear a message and you're like, wow, that was just what I needed to hear. That was like right for me. He did it, but he was also looking like directly at me. And so I'm like, oh, okay, like that's convicting. Um, <laughs> he said, do you want to be a man of faith or a man of fact? I want to, I want to modify that this morning. I think the question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to be a man of faith or a man of fear? A lot of people live with a mentality of fear in their lives. God wants us to step into an area of faith. Say, God, like, I don't know how you're going to come through with this, but I'm not going to live in fear any longer. I want to live in the faith that you have for me. I want to believe that you have something so much greater than I can even possibly comprehend for myself. So that's a question that I want you to wrestle with this morning. So like I said, today, take 10 to 15 minutes. Identify at least one area where you aren't fully trusting Christ. Pray through that um, over this entire week and you know, even talk to somebody about it. What is that area that you are just having trouble surrendering? Um, you know, We have a great number of people here who would love to just have conversation with you, talk through that. Um, so that's all I got. Um, what I want to do is just pray for us this morning, and then we'll be on our way. Sounds good? Actually, Jenny is going to come up, I think, to close us out. So God, we thank you so much just for who you are and what you did. God, we, we thank you so much that you spoke clearly this morning to us. I pray that uh, as we go from this place, God, you would just reveal areas in our heart that we're not fully surrendered to you. And God, if we haven't surrendered our lives to you at all, I pray that you would just work in our hearts uh, just to begin that process. Um, God, whatever it takes, we eagerly desire the things that you have for us. And God, we don't want to live under the, the power of 
shame and guilt and condemnation, none of that stuff. God, we want to step in the freedom that you have for every single one of us today. God, we thank you. We love you. In your name, amen.